My guest today is Jessica Ehrlich, poet, author, truth speaker, mother of two under two. Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. And a children's picture book on emotions called The Rainbow in My Heart, which was inspired by her little man. So just reading all your poetry and watching how it's going, you know, you're really speaking to the heart of mothers. Try and make sense, I guess, of what can feel so messy in early motherhood. It just shows that we're, we really are all in the same boat together. I've had plenty of tits up moments in motherhood. I felt quite lonely um, in early motherhood. I guess seemed like they were okay. They were on top of things. They were the perfect mum and there's no such things. Um, yeah, it was motherhood actually that made me pick up a pen again. All the mothers mm -hmm. with their beautiful children or you'll see a mum in a long white dress walking along the beach with a toddler and there's not a dirty chocolate handprint on her dress at all. And But you know, if all of your colours don't coordinate and you don't only have wooden toys on that shelf, your baby's going to be okay. <laughs> episode of Tits Up is sponsored by Booby Foods, all natural and organic foods to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. Our Tits Up guest today is Jess Ehrlich. Um, Jess is a writer living in New Zealand with her husband and what were once two under two human babies and two fur babies. She's an author of two poetry books, From One Mom to a Mother, which is amazing, and All I See Is You, and a children's picture book on emotions called The Rainbow in My Heart, which was inspired by her little man. Jess loves blogging and writing down her thoughts, and in turn, she has a beautiful community on Instagram and Facebook of other like-minded mothers who are here for the messy and the beautiful truth of motherhood. Welcome, Jess. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure. Yes, <laughs> just reading all your poetry and watching how it's going, you know, you're really speaking to the heart of mothers, aren't you? I mean, I know you're, you're coming from your own space and experience and feelings, but it is just really resonating deeply with mums. And the feedback comments on your social media are just so moving. Oh, I'm just going to read one. Okay. I had a read one that got to me. I was just looking at your Instagram the other day and it said, Jess, I don't even know you, but somehow I feel like I do every time I read your words. They touch a deeper level in me as a new mum that I didn't pay attention to before. It's isn't so that, beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that lovely? It must feel yeah. nice that, you know, you're actually supporting mothers. Oh, it does. It's the most amazing thing because when I started writing, I was writing to get my thoughts out and um, try and make sense, I guess, of what can feel so messy in early motherhood. And um, as I sort of mentioned in one of, one of my posts, motherhood figured me out and writing was a way to make sense of me as well. So putting that out there and uh, seeing how many across the whole world resonate it just shows that we're we really are all in the same boat together 
Um, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to talk about some of those vulnerable moments because we're worried that other people aren't going to put up their hand and say, me too. And it's that like collective unity when one person says, yeah, actually, I've experienced that or I've also found that really hard. That kind of makes you sigh and go, oh, I'm not alone in this. And it's really mm-hmm. powerful. It is because you're not the only. Yeah. So was there a tips up moment that inspired your writing? I mean, it's oh. raw, it's exquisite. It's, was there a moment or was it just a more thing? Have you always been a writer? I've had plenty of tits up moments in motherhood, but um, there wasn't one in particular that inspired me. I think more, more what it was is I, despite being in the best company, I felt quite lonely um, in early motherhood and I couldn't really figure out why that was. A lot of my friends um, weren't mothers yet and um, the mum friends I did have, we weren't really, you know, we met through antenatal and I don't think we were quite at the point to really um, delve right into that real, um, you know, that real stuff, you know, about how our kids are awake all through the night. Everyone wanted to, I guess, seem like they were okay. They were on top of things. They were the perfect mum and there's no such thing. So I really wanted to search for that kind of um community I guess online and my husband actually said to me he said why don't you just start writing again start your own platform start writing if uh, no one sees it it'll at least be an outlet for you and so when Holly my second born was about five months old um, I just started writing again and I did used to write I actually first started writing when I was about five so I'd write like little poems mostly about my brother um and then as I got older (laughs) you know like cutesy little ones like that and then as I was about I think about nine or ten I I really started to write more about feelings and exploring emotions I stopped writing in my late teens I was probably too busy partying and doing all of that sort of thing traveling and then um yeah it was motherhood actually that made me pick up a pen again Right. Mm. I'm going to get you to read one of your poems just because it's so, you know, for people who may not have found your work yet, although I don't know how they haven't because oh, it's totally you. gone viral. You know, you, you'll go and look at some sort of platform and it might be even be an American platform, you know, and here you are in New Zealand. Are you in a little country town? Where are you in New Zealand? Uh, I'm in Christchurch. I suppose it could okay. be a little, it, yeah, in a way it's a little country town. <laughs> It would be to you guys. Compared to some people, yes. I mean, I grew up in a little country village in New Zealand and ended up, you know, in the city of Melbourne, which is, and and even, you know, my mother, my mother came over once and I was driving her around here in Melbourne and she was absolutely astounded that I could drive in such a big city. <laughs> I love Melbourne, but drive, those hook turns don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Anyway, can you just read this poem? I'm just, you know, about the old friend. I've told you which one you want to read. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I've got my book here ready, so I will read it. Today I saw an old friend from my past. She barely stopped. She was moving so fast. Hurrying and shushing and looking quite flushed. The frazzled kind, not contoured with blush. I had to double take her brows in a frown, her clothes mismatched, her hair in a crown. She carried herself differently, tired and raw, but a beauty that shined more visibly than before. It wasn't the kind that we're used to seeing. It's the kind that radiates from your every being. She swayed side to side, a baby on her hip, as she stared in the distance, chewing her lip. I decided to approach and reconnect with this girl. 
to remind her that she was conquering the world. She told me her life had completely changed, that the pieces of her had been rearranged. Pieces left for months on the floor, so it took her a while to feel whole once more. Then she said, I get it now. This is who I'm meant to be. And I actually believed her as she stared back at me. She was tired yet knowing, a world of content and a place so new for where she was meant. I took a deep breath as I left our embrace from the girl in the mirror with a smile on my face. Oh, that is so moving, isn't it? It's Thank just you. those last two lines. That's so beautiful. Thanks. From what mothers of babies and young children are saying to you, what are you and what you're experiencing yourself, obviously, because it's, you know, everyone's in the same boat. They might have a different, you know, a different oar or motorboat or a sail or whatever. Some are in canoes and some are just paddling hard. Yeah. Um, what do you see as the biggest pressures for mums right now? I think, well, I can't speak for all mums, but I know for me, one of the biggest pressures was this feeling that I had to, I guess, walk into motherhood knowing exactly what I was doing. Um, and it's one of those things that I think when we surround ourselves with, you know, and social media's um one of those places as well it can be great it can be harmful there's a lot of accounts out there that I was following that kept making me think of all the shoulds you know I should be doing this and if I'm not doing this then it's wrong almost as if there was someone with a clipboard marking me on my parenting and it, I think there's just that pressure to be this perfect mum to do it all to be it all to have it all and it wasn't until um I had my second, um, unfortunately for Harry, <laughs> you learn from your first, I, I always say, but it wasn't really until having my second that I realized that um, doing what was right for me and them was what was right. Not all of these um, schedules, not, you know, how long she would feed on one boob versus the other, um, you know, not how I got her to sleep at night, all, all these things. That's what the huge pressure for me was, is just feeling like um, there was only one way to do this and it had to be the right way. And so leaning in to my intuition um, was basically what saved what saved us and what really helped motherhood take shape for me. Yeah, I think, I think that's such a big a big thing there is all those pressures about how we should be and then like you say looking at you know social media and everyone looks beautiful on social media don't they all the mothers mm -hmm. with their beautiful children or you'll see a mum in a long white dress walking along the beach with a toddler and there's not a dirty chocolate handprint on her dress at all and yeah and, I, and I, I try and keep it real and I mean, I can understand people wanting to share the highlights because, you know, there's also a lot of things I don't share. Um, I'm not going to share everything, obviously, because it's there's parts of my life that have to be private, just like anybody's life. But I try and share as much as I can that I think um, will help others. I think another one of those big things is that when we are looking at all of these pages with their perfect rooms and, um, you know, there's no clutter, I think we forget that they're just, regular mums like we are um they're real exactly. too they're real too they're just not showing those things and you know that's okay if we want to follow um these types of instagram bloggers i think we just have to remember that their mess is maybe swept out of the frame or maybe they have um, nannies or extra help like it's not always what 
you see right in front of you. It's important. Just a moment in time. I know I've had some, you know, famous clients and they haven't had nannies and they have cried, you know, and there's just really a common thread with mothers because everybody assumes that perhaps a celebrity will have a nanny doing everything for her so she can live her glamorous life. But the glamorous life is just such a pinch of time. Exactly. And I think as well, um, you know, these people, th- th- this is their job. This is a, this is their income as well. And I, I don't think people realize that, that for a lot of them, you know, they're advertising things. And I got really sucked into that. And I understand, I, I think, you know, you make your money, you have to do what you have to do and um, full credit to them. But when you're a new mum and you're constantly bombarded with products in front of you and you think you need everything, you do have to take a step back and realize, you know, they're advertising this, this is their job. You don't need all the things. I mean, when Harry was um, still in my tummy, I was thinking about getting a slide and swings. Like I was two years ahead of myself because I kept thinking, oh my God, I need this, I need that, I need this. And it was just ridiculous. And I mean, I don't think we're going to have a third, but I know if we did, I wouldn't even bother with a third of the things that I had because I just didn't need them. Yes. And you don't know that at first, do you? I mean, you see beautiful nurseries and you think that kid's not going to appreciate it. I mean, I remember with my first baby (laughs) finding this gorgeous antique cot as I was going past in a tram, you know, these days it would probably never meet safety standards, but it was this old cot and, you know, we sat lovingly sanded it and painted it. And there was one of the brass knobs was missing. So we found a man that would make the brass knob and I crocheted all these beautiful blankets. That kid didn't appreciate that cot at no. all. <laughs> no, and that's the thing that I think it's important. Like if you want to do those things, do it. I mean, it is so much fun. I really mm. enjoyed um, doing the nursery both times. I really enjoyed it, but it's, yeah, I think it's a little bit more, for you as a mum or a dad, although Drew didn't care, um, but I think it's <laughs> for you and your satisfaction. It's a nesting thing. It's it's not looking at these pictures and going, oh, I don't I don't have a perfect nursery. Oh, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be as good a mum. Like it's got nothing to do with that. It's a personal thing. It's yeah. a connection with you. It's all part of bonding and nesting. I think yeah. it is. You know, it's not rubbishing anyone who wants a beautiful nursery because that's part of bonding and nesting and. Yeah. Eventually that child will move into that room or you yep. might sit in there and feed your baby and it might be a one clean space in the house where you can actually go and not see all the junk. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if all of your colours don't coordinate and you don't only have wooden toys on that shelf, your baby's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably won't that. even notice. Do no. you feel, now when we're talking about all this pressure, do you feel that it's probably, you know, being a mother is harder perhaps for you and this generation of modern mums, harder than, you know, your mother's generation? I mean, that'd be my generation too. Do you think it's harder or do you think women are talking more about how they feel or are the expectations probably different? I think like going by what my mum always says to me um, and my nana, they both say that they think it's so much harder now. Um, it's, it's kind of like a catch-22 because on the one hand, you know, there's a lot of research. When we know better, we do better. And so obviously I'm I'm grateful to be able to have all these resources like at, at the click of a button. Like that's amazing. Um, but at the same time, 
you know, that can also be quite damaging because I remember, you know, you Google everything when you're unsure. I remember being on sleep forums at two or three in the morning. Um, and this sort of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning with that, that instinct, that leaning into your intuition, because there's so much information out there now and so much noise and it is so accessible. Um, I think that we tend to look outwards before we look inwards. I know I did. And um, sometimes you just have to shut your computer or turn off your phone and um, just block it out a little bit because I guess our parents didn't really have that, did they? We didn't. No, we didn't have that at all. And I found it really interesting, you know, even compared to my mum, you know, there were no parenting books, but parenting books were just starting, you know, in the 70s when I had my first children. And um, I put up babies in the 70s, the 80s and the 90s which is, you know, it was over an 18-year span that mm. I had had my kids. So it was really interesting seeing these changes and then how the internet came in. Because when I had my first baby, I went to a talk at the hospital on infant feeding. And I'd been a nurse and I'd worked in, you know, postnatal wards a little bit, but not, not much, in a, a little bit. And no one, you know, it was the era where not many people were breastfeeding anyway. So I went to this talk and there was Sister Mary Constance, the... Um, midwife who but she was a nun and she had this big white bonnet and full nun gear and she was the cleverest woman I've ever thought of doing an antenatal class on infant feeding because behind her she stood in front of this table that was covered in cans and scoops and kettles and also you know there's a particular brand of kettle that you could put your bottle into heated up called a burko there was all this stuff behind her and I came out of there not hearing a single word she said about how to breastfeed. I don't even know if she told us how to breastfeed, but I was petrified that if I didn't breastfeed, I'd probably poison my child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, you know, even when it was a struggle and my baby was in NICU and all these sorts of things and I hardly had any milk and I'm thinking, but I can't, I can't, I have to, I have to keep trying. <laughs> I think it's still like that though. Um, yeah, no, I definitely do. When I, when I, cause I couldn't breastfeed my first for very long. Um, but I went on to be able to breastfeed my second. But I remember when I first put up my post about my struggles of breastfeeding and um, the lack of support. I mean, there, were, there was a lot of support out there to help me try and continue. But when I really needed to draw that line in the sand for my mental health to stop, there really wasn't anything after that. And I wasn't prepared um, with how I would feel in the morning and the guilt. I just wasn't prepared for that. And I don't even know what the answer is, but there wasn't like much support other than my husband and my family. They were amazing. But then the lactation nurses and, and Lalish League and all of that, once that was sort of over, I just, I, I kind of felt like um, they were very much like, oh, well, you can't breastfeed. That's a shame. See you later. And it was I don't know. It was just, it was really hard. And a lot of people have come out and, and spoken about how they have felt really similar. And I think there's like a, maybe a gap there of um, mums that just haven't been able to make peace because that's a transition, a huge one too. And we, we do, we feel so Love guilty. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know if it's guilt. I think there's actual grief because you've got that hormonal <laughs> withdrawal mm -hmm. you know, that, that you've actually, you know, even if breastfeeding has been gradually petering out, you've got you know, you've still got some of those hormones. So you've got that hormonal withdrawal, but you've also, if you don't belong in that group anymore because you're not breastfeeding, you know, yeah. or it whatever. Is a group. It is like a group. It feels like a group a little bit. 
yeah yeah and also that um yeah I mean it is grief it is sadness it is Mm -hmm. questioning yourself because that's what you thought you were going to do I mean the mothers Mm -hmm. that I've spoken to and I taught baby massage for a long time so mums would come to a baby massage class and that was beautiful because if breastfeeding had gone wrong tits up you know that they still had this other lovely way of knowing they were connecting with their baby and you know you're still going to be connecting with your baby you're still going to be loving and cuddling in every other way yeah yeah but as a woman and I think it's also part of our sexuality you know you make a baby you grow a baby you have a baby you you expect to be able to nourish that baby from your body and when it doesn't work out yeah there there must be massive grief yeah oh definitely grief is exactly the word and I think like I was asked so many times with um, when I was pregnant with Harry, are you going to breastfeed? I don't know why people always ask that question, but anyway, I would just respond with yes, if we can. Um, but in my mind, I was like, yeah, of course we can. Yeah. I'd done the classes. I'd held up those pretend babies to my boobs. I knew what I was doing. Um, and it just, yeah, it really threw me. It just didn't work, but it's funny how, you know, when I was pregnant with Holly, that was probably the one thing I was the most nervous about trying again. And um, yet we, we went on to breastfeed until she was 14 months. Um, But just two completely different journeys, but I still remember the feeling of um, that, that loss in that morning of having to switch Harry to formula. And honestly, like he was absolutely fine. He's thriving. But yeah, it just felt like there wasn't anyone to really turn to, to talk about in those moments. Mm. No, Mm. there needs to be some sort of counselling or something that you can just talk about Mm. and get those feelings out. But even writing about it is, you know, cathartic, I think. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but it is because there's so many women who have a hard time. And I always think the women who go on to, like you say, being really anxious about your breastfeeding with the next baby is really gutsy because I've you know women have you know clinic men it's their third or their fourth baby and they're still giving it another go even though it's gone up the spout Mm. you know with Mm. baby one baby two and then baby three they're still trying again so there's something really innate Mm. about that journey or that relationship that women want to do yeah yeah I mean obviously there will be some women who don't want to do it but you know women generally see that as a continuum from you know growing and birthing or whatever they that baby and I think you know women who've had c-sections too can often feel cheated or somehow you know and then there'll be the anger that comes up with the breastfeeding that didn't work out you know anger at perhaps at the people who didn't help you or Mm. perhaps Mm. women who you know are going through that grief will go onto a page where women are breastfeeding and they'll for some reason say I couldn't breastfeed you're making me feel guilty and you kind of go that's just a woman who's grieving. It's not a woman who's attacking anyone. Yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of that happens is because, and I I mean, I never said, I was always very happy um, for the mothers around me that were breastfeeding, but I would always feel kind of like that, that stab in the gut every time I'd pull out a bottle and they had their baby at their breast. And it was purely because I felt like I'd failed and um, I felt bad for my baby. I just, I just felt guilt. And so... I just, yeah, I think that if we're still feeling like that, obviously we haven't dealt with it because 
you know, it, it's a really hard thing to deal with, especially if you're not talking about it. So I don't know what the answer is there, but I, I do know that talking about it really helps. Um, sometimes it's hard to know who to talk to. So that's why I started writing um, on, on a platform. Not, it's not everyone's um, jam putting it out there to a bunch of strangers, but I'm really glad that I did because in turn, it's kind of almost made us feel like we're not strangers. We're all doing this together and it's resonated with so many and I'm, I'm hopeful that it's helped so many as well. And I also think among the modern mum, I think there's actually a fair bit of acceptance. I know there's judgment, but I also think there's a fair bit of acceptance of other people on that same journey. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's not, it's not a one size fits all. And Oh, no, no. But I think mothers are more accepting of that, perhaps. And um, yeah, I'm also thinking about, you know, to my motherhood, whether I mean, I think there's always been judgment of mothers. There always has yeah. been. There's always going to be somebody who thinks you're doing it wrong or you feel you're doing it wrong because you're not doing it the same as other people. But I, I think often judgment comes from people perhaps whose kids are older now and they did it differently or mm-hmm. whatever. But I think there's quite a lovely camaraderie when you look on social media for a lot of mums. I mean, yes, there's, you know, you can be criticised by anyone anywhere in the world, but I also think there's a, there is quite a lovely... There definitely is. Like I've, I've noticed a real, a really beautiful community um, on my page when I look at some of the comments on my posts, more so the support for each other, mm. uh, I think is really, really special. Um, sometimes when one of my posts, it's generally a breastfeeding one, if that gets shared on a, a larger platform, I tend to not look at the comments. I've done that a couple of times and I've just gone, no, I'm not looking at that because there will be people come out and um, there'll be mum shaming. And I just think, oh, it's just so, it's just so gross. Like don't shame other mums. There's just no need for it. I mean. It's not helpful. It's not adding to the conversation. It's not, you know, and there'll always be other mothers doing it differently from you. Yeah. Or me yeah. or whoever, you know, there's, there's just a whole spectrum of what's okay. And it's what's okay for your family. Yeah. It's just, and you I, do you and I'll do me and, you know. Oh. And just, you're not going to run out and convince someone to change their ways. I actually had someone on social media say to my, you know, my sister-in-law's reading a particular book and I don't want to think her baby's being hurt by that book. So do I say something or do I not? And I said, well, you can just say to her, how's that working for you? And that will open a conversation and it's still her baby. Newborns need to be fed around the clock and the mama milk machine does not stop day or night. The average baby requires at least nine hours of hands-on care a day And that doesn't include all the extra tasks of washing, cooking and basic self-care, like simply having a shower, that goes with a new addition to your family. As you breastfeed and care for your baby, feeding yourself is often the last thing you can manage. And this is why I, Pinky, I'm an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, created delicious booby foods. So far, booby brickies and booby brekkie to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. As a nourishing snack, an analysis by Victoria University Melbourne found that Pinky's Booby Foods can be a helpful nutritional complement to a healthy, balanced diet. And because we know that everything mothers eat will be passed to their baby through breast milk, 
Booby Bickies and Booby Brekkie are made from all natural and organic ingredients with no preservatives or additives. You can download my free ebook, Making More Mummy Milk Naturally, and you'll get 15% off any purchase when you order Booby Bickies, Booby Brekkie, or any of the carefully curated breastfeeding accessories at www.boobyfoods.com.au. Use the code TITSUP at checkout to receive your 15% discount. absolutely yeah and that's whatever you think I mean it was a book that I wouldn't have done to my baby but it's still not my baby yeah and there might be a reason that that woman finds you know for instance a strict routine she might find that if the baby fits into it often they don't but you know if that does work it might mean that that mother Mm -hmm. feels a little bit more in control and can relax and enjoy her baby if that's the style of person she is yeah, and I, I stand by that 100%. I think it's really important that mums have to take care of their mental health first. Um, I put up posts about our sleep journey and that tends to cause a little bit of controversy. Not often. I think most of the people that follow me know that I'm about the gentle sleep approach. Um, but that's not to say that I judge anybody who chooses to sleep train or, or go down another, you know, route or method. I think that you do have to do what's right for you. I mean, there are single mums out there who have to get up for work in the morning. They have to go and they need to sleep or, you know, mums of twins or I, I don't know. There's so many scenarios out there that I can't imagine myself in, but yeah. I know what worked for our family and even though we were tired and we were zombies and I I try not to over romanticize it because there's nothing romantic about sleep deprivation but it's still something I'm happy that we chose to do and it worked for us so yeah Yeah. and you you have no regrets you know often I'll have mothers you know email me with a five-year-old or something and they've they're still holding the guilt that they you know that maybe they sleep trained maybe they weaned early or who knows whatever it is that they did or often again there'll be mothers who smack their children and then they've realized that there are other ways and they feel so bad and mm-hmm. and you know again it's about forgiving yourself and I liken it every all of this like you're learning a new language you know yeah. you might have been brought up being smacked and that might be all you've got in your toolbox but yes. then you're learning this new language and as you learn a new language whatever it is you know sometimes you will slip up and then you know, well, you're unlearning another in a way. Well, that's right. You're unlearning your mother tongue to learn yeah. this new language. Yeah. And, but for your children, this more gentle style might be their mother tongue and they won't have to, you know, have that in the background to unlearn. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it's just really about kindness and, and where you are on that journey. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, yeah. And everyone has different resources. Like you say, there might be a single mother who has to get up for work or, or there might be someone with a partner who's not supportive of... Yes, yes. And I, I think that would make it really, really hard. Um, luckily, Drew was on... You know, he was in the same boat with me. He did um, struggle a bit because obviously he was the one getting up in the morning to go to work. But having said that, I was the one getting up in the morning to look after two babies. And he he appreciated that so having him on the same page did help Hmm. and sometimes we just have to educate our partners to why we feel in a certain way you know we have to communicate that because 
they've been brought up differently from us too. I mean, you never get a partner who's been brought up exactly the same as you because yeah. like, there's so many different family styles and numbers of children in a family and all that. And it's, it's about communicating why you feel that this is the right way for you to mother. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, getting them on board. But it's not really about changing their mind. It's about, you know, telling them what support you need. And yeah. if they don't want to get up to a child, that's fine. But, you know, just keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. What feels right. Yeah. Um, what about your transition to motherhood? You know, from personal, the first baby to more than one baby, and then now you've got two toddlers. Have you found they've been, you know, learning curves at each, each stage or has it sort of slipped in more gradually? Um, the dark and the light the dark and the light dark and the light well the lightness will always you know it will always overshadow the dark um but I think I don't know like my first I it's hard to explain I absolutely adored being a mother but just going back to what I was saying in the beginning I did feel quite lonely and um I just, yeah, I, I kind of, I almost missed the girl of yesterday and I was just trying to figure out the me and mum and where I sort of fit into all of it. And you kind of put yourself on the back burner for a while because you have to, because it's all consuming. You have this tiny baby who needs all of you. And um, I just don't think anyone can prepare you for that. I mean, you're here like all the just you wait and you're going to be busy and you won't sleep again. But when you're actually in it and like that fog is so thick. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I just felt a little bit confused and it was just that fourth trimester for me. It, it wasn't like once that was over, everything made sense and clicked into place. It was just, it was a bit of a hard transition for me and I had postnatal anxiety, which made it even harder. Um, and then the breastfeeding. So it wasn't the smoothest transition into motherhood, um, but that's not to say I wasn't completely infatuated and in love with him, but I'm just being honest. It was, it was a transition when, uh, but then having said that, I got pregnant four months later um, <laughs> and, and that was planned. So, uh, but we, yeah, we wanted to have them both close together, but we were mindful of the fact that I did suffer postnatal anxiety and what that would look like with a second baby. And so, um, it did take me a while to open up to my husband about that. But when I did, we decided I'd go see a counsellor um, and that really helped. And they kind of, they they said to me, look, this is what you should look out for. It's really important that you take care of yourself now that you're pregnant again and that you're going to, you know, you're going to have two um, a year apart. So I'm glad that I opened up when I did. Um, and then when Holly came along, um, Harry, yeah, he wasn't even 13 months old. He was just learning how to walk. So it was pretty, it was pretty hectic. I felt really torn um, because I kind of felt like he still, well, he obviously needed me so much. But I had this newborn. And so it was, it was a tough transition to have two as well. Um, but then I also had great family support. So I pretty much had someone with me and I know a lot of people don't have this luxury. So yeah. But I'm just going to say I had someone with me for the first uh, four weeks and that really helped, really helped. I think every mother needs that. You know, you oh, just need someone absolutely. to mother you Yeah. as you're doing it, whether it's your first baby or your, 
you know, your fifth baby, it would be lovely if all mothers could have somebody just to be there so that you can go to bed or to hold your baby so you can have a shower, those sorts of things. And I mean, this last year has been horrendous for mums in countries where we've had lockdown. I mean, in Melbourne, we had, where I am, we had eight months of lockdown. My daughter had her first baby in Dubai last year. I was, you know, ready to hop on a plane and go over and then COVID struck and she was on her own in a foreign country without anyone to help her, you know, had a C-section, was struggling with the breastfeeding. Her husband's a pilot, so he was away, you know, for blocks of time. Uh And I just felt for her so much thinking if I could just get over there and be there because you can't, you know, when with lockdown, you can't even have a girlfriend come and hold your baby while you have a shower. So I feel so much for the mums who've done 2020, you know, 2021 in lockdown. It's, it's been really hard for them. Oh, yeah, I can't even imagine. It would be so, so hard. And like that village that people talk about, it's just not quite the same these days. And not even, not even just because of the pandemic, but it's just different. It's different now. Everyone's so busy and everyone's working and it is a lot harder, a lot harder now. And when we go back to like your mum's generation, for instance, when women, most women were at home with their babies. So there would be a neighbour and often I mean very much in New Zealand because I had two babies in New Zealand it wasn't the same in the city in Melbourne but when I had the two babies I had in New Zealand you could just I don't know I had I was threatening to miscarry and one of my friends turned up and cleaned the house for me you know and this was my third baby you know and she even cleaned my toilet I you know I'm ever so grateful but you know, different things would happen that people could, and we used to swap children, you know, I'd have the little ones, she'd have the big ones, or, you know, there was another friend that would come around and we'd go to the orchard and get fruit, pick fruit with our children, and we'd come back home to my place, and we would, you know, preserve that fruit or cook up stuff, or sometimes we'd do a meal batch together, and then just take home meals each, but there was always another mum to watch the children, which is you know, a beautiful community, but I think that we've sort of lost that village a bit. And there's also this, well, maybe I can't have friends over because my house is a mess or that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit more of that sort of pressure. Yeah. I think there is a lot of that. And, you know, one of my mum's friends, she actually came to help out um, once a week and um, actually she's my nana's, my nana's friend. So she's in in her early seventies and she was just amazing. And like, that was her generation. She'd come over straight away. She'd get the vacuum out or um, she'd just say, right, what are you having for dinner tonight? And I'm just like, oh God, I haven't even thought about that. And she'd just start prepping something. And yeah, and I do think, and it was just amazing. And yeah, and I feel like, yeah, we just don't, we just don't do that sort of thing. But I don't think it's because we don't want to. I think part of it is that we don't like to ask for help. Um because we want to seem like we have it all together, maybe. I don't know. Um, I think for help's really hard, but I also think for the helper, they don't want to feel like they're intruding either. Yeah, 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 there's that. And I also just think we're just all so busy. Like we all need help in some way, don't we? So sometimes about just remembering that friend with the newborn and how it was just a whirlwind for you at that time and just maybe putting some of your stuff aside. Because like even that most simple gesture of um bringing something over or dropping a meal on their front doorstep and leaving like it just would mean the world to them and it would only take a small part of your day out so yeah Yeah, well if you're cooking your own meal I mean maybe you're making a batch of soup just put one aside and yeah drop it off yeah yeah Yeah. no I just I, I know just a little while ago 
um, one of my neighbours had been in hospital and her husband was, you know, in stage cancer, but she'd also had pneumonia. And I came home from, you know, working Rick says to me, you better take some chicken soup over, you know, <laughs> she's been <laughs> sick. And I went, oh, have you got any of your chicken soup? And I got, I just made a batch the night before. So I <laughs> whipped over with a the oh, container of chicken funny. soup. But, you know, it's just, it's very much, I think, a generational thing that you don't feel you're intruding Whereas I think now it's it's a little bit harder and there's sort of been a gap in the middle of people, mm. um, yeah, have, having busy lives. And look, you know, it's, we've only had one generation of women going back to work. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Really, yeah. Which is, you know, it, it's another load on people that are busy. But, you know, like they say, just remembering that gesture, if you could just drop something off for that mother, she would mm. oh, make a world of difference for mm. her. Yeah. And also, I guess, you know, like you say, not asking for help, but is that mother going to she have these feelings of they think I'm not coping, so that's why they're helping me? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I think I just I just know, like, for me, I didn't really ask for help. Um, mm. I just felt like I it was almost it sounds so silly but it was almost like I thought well I chose to have two close together I chose to have these babies so therefore I should be able to do this and I don't know where that mentality came from because that's just crazy <laughs> like yeah. yes they are my children but you know like sometimes you just you do need that support and you do need that village and not necessarily just to help with them but to help you to support you as you said before so I didn't, yeah, I didn't really feel comfortable asking for help. I'd be different now. Um, I would, well, I don't need as much help now that they're getting older. But if I was to have, you know, hypothetically in another world, have another baby, I think I'd be a lot better at asking for help now because I just know how important it is to to be to be able to be vulnerable. And also if a friend asks me for help, I'm so flattered. I'm really honored that they... Um, want to come to me and ask me for help so I actually think it makes people feel quite good that you you know absolutely <laughs> and you're not imposing because everybody does feel very privileged to be involved in a new family you know it's a real privilege yeah. to be asked to help someone with a new family so that's a good message for all of you out there about to have a baby or if you've just had a baby or you've got little ones and you're struggling everybody loves to be involved with a new baby I mean not that they're going to take the baby off and you know, off your hands for you, but just to be there and make you a hot drink or hold that mm. baby while you have a shower or, you know, just just even to be almost a shoulder to cry on. Yeah. You know, sometimes just to offer to help is, it's quite beautiful for that yeah. mum. Yeah. It and she, she's A, going to be grateful that you've offered help, but she's also, but when you reach out, the person that you reach out to is going to feel very privileged, like yes. you say. Yeah. 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 It is a privilege, unless they're a particularly horrible person and you wouldn't be reaching out to them anyway. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> so you're not imposing. You're actually inviting someone to share your experience of having yeah. this new family. And that's such a good way to look at it. Yeah. Mm, I think it's a, you know, it's a good one. Now, we've talked a little bit about um, mothers needing support. Um, so, And social media can be helpful, but... Do you've got any tips for mums of babies and little children, how they can keep that balance of online and real life support? <clears throat> well, I guess it depends on who's in lockdown right now, because if you're in lockdown online, it's probably going to be one of your best friends. Um, I mean, my what I do is online. So I'm online quite a bit. And um, 
but I, for me, I've, I've found it to be a saving grace. I have made so many amazing connections online, um, met so many other like-minded mums and um, made friends for life. So I just think it, it's just like you think about the energy you have in real life. And I think when you have kids, you realize you've got to, you know, energy is so precious. You've got to kind of be careful who you invite into that space. You don't want people who suck the energy right out of you. Well, it's no different to online. You know, if you're not aligning with someone's values or you're not, um, you're not getting something from someone you follow anymore, I think it's just as important that you, as you would unfollow on Instagram, for example, that sometimes there are people in real life that maybe you realize, oh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure that this is working. It happened to me um, that sometimes your circle has to change. So it's just about, yeah, having people around you that align with you and um, make you feel good, fill your cup, I guess. Yeah. yeah, whether it's online or whether it's not, and unfollow if yeah. they don't really resonate or it's not, you know, it's not adding to, to your energy. Yeah, yeah. I just, that's just something that I learned along the way. And um, yeah, whether it be online or real life, I actually don't think that um, the two are all that different, really. It just depends on what you've got time for. I didn't have time to see very many friends in the beginning. So I was online quite a bit, but that was okay for mm. me. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can go online at two o'clock in the morning. You can't necessarily ring a friend at two o'clock in the morning. No. And that's one of the good things about online. Like we were saying before about how, you know, my parents' generation, how they didn't have all of that. Well, the one good thing with having that is that you can reach out to anyone at any time and that can be really nice. And there'll be somebody there. Yeah. Somebody, that you yeah. can just have a chat with or yeah, just get some reassurance. And if you follow the people who do give you that reassurance, yeah, that's really nice. And you can give it back to them too. So it's not like you're the energy sucker or they're the energy sucker, but when you do the get energy suckers, walk away. Yeah. 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 Whether yeah. it's real life or whether it's online. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's just switch before we finish from mums to children. It might be children and parents. I'm a really big fan of sharing books with children that, you know, help give them words for their big feelings and to help them feel heard and seen. And it helps us as much as parents too, because, you know, reading a story with a child, it could be a really, really simple story, but it's giving you that opportunity for teachable moments. Mm. And You've got this gorgeous new book, The Rainbow in My Heart. Just tell us about it. What, you know, what inspired you here? Obviously, it was your children. Yeah, well, it was mostly Harry. Um, Harry has very, very big feelings, um, most like most three-year-olds, I would say. Um, but I think Harry, I mean, he's highly sensitive. So he feels things on a much deeper level. And I noticed that he was really having, um, I guess, problems just articulating how he felt. So his meltdowns would be very extreme um, because he just couldn't communicate how he was feeling. And that would just be so frustrating, right? And so I was really inspired to write something. He loves his books. And so I wanted to write something that was um, bright in color, rhymed, had lots of metaphors. And um, that's where the rainbow sort of came to me. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll use the rainbow as the metaphor for all of our emotions. And I'll attach those emotions to the different colors and find a way to help children understand that way. Um, 
And then I reached out to Bex from Journey to Wellness um, to do the illustrations. And she was really excited about the whole concept. So yeah, we brought it to life together. Um, and we made it to number one best-selling children's book in New Zealand, which was super cool. That's and, cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that was really, really cool. We're going um, through the UK in August this year and then US bookstores in May next year, which is really cool. And I just had really, really great feedback. I think the main thing for me was is just knowing that it actually was helping and that kids were enjoying it. And yeah, I've had really good feedback. It's been used in schools. Um, so yeah, it's just basically been making my heart sing hearing all of that. Oh, that's beautiful. And and you're right, you know, talking about feelings is, and there's not much out there, you know, not as much as, and for a three-year-old, there's often books for older children, but for a three-year-old, mm. I think that's, you know, and that is the hard age. Yeah, it is. It is. And but you kind of want something feelings. engaging as well, something that yes. they want to read. Um, yes. And, and while there are feelings books out there and some really lovely ones, I had one for Harry um, in the early stages and actually some of the pages frightened him. And I thought, right, I just, I need something that's engaging for a three-year-old, something that he, yeah, that he's going to want me to read him at nighttime. And look, I have read it to him that many times. I'm pretty sure he's over it now. <laughs> But in the beginning, he yeah, he loved it. But he uses he uses the colours now. And um, I've heard that the parents section in the back um, from lots and lots and lots of parents have, have been a really good resource. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And it's helping parents, you know, not dismiss their children's feelings to, yeah, you know, really acknowledge them. Yeah. Hold and, space. Yeah. Yeah. That holding space. I think that's lovely. So before we sign off, thanks, Chess, for your beautiful work in the world. What a, yeah. you know, what a contribution to mothers, to families, to children, and for being on this interview. That's thanks for having me. So lovely. Where can people go for more of your lovely, honest, raw writing? Um, or you can find me buy your books. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Instagram um, or my website, um, which is www.jessicaurlich.com. It's a bit of a funny, funny spelling last name. Um, and my children's book, The Rainbow in My Heart, is across bookstores in New Zealand and Australia. Awesome. So I'll put that in the show notes too, so people will be able to, you know, just click the link and come and find you. Great. And what's your, just your, do you have just one tip for our listeners on how to be the mother you want to be? I think I'll just reiterate my earlier message about um, the right way is what's right for you, leaning into your intuition and remembering to sometimes block out that noise. Oh, that's fabulous. Thanks, Jess. Thanks and for having me. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and 
can check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find this support and information too.